for those who are visiting with us this morning, we've been on this journey about wrestling with doubt for the last five weeks, and this is the end of the sermon series. And today we're uh, grappling with that question, you know, where's God in the midst of our, our pain and suffering, which is a really good question. And so um, I, I got some great scripture and I got some great teaching this morning. As a matter of fact, I got some things I'll put on the board here in, few, in just a few minutes. I just want you to know, God woke me up again last night and there's the piece of paper. And so I started doing my little dueling and I brought it here to church and my little board and I'm going to teach in just a few minutes. But, you know, I, I, I'm hoping as I've, you know, Saturday night I preach a sermon and then I rework it and I rethink it and then I spend all night kind of contemplating it. So I, I've got, I think I've got, I think I finally got it down. So let's see. Um, okay, so let me begin with the, the book of Psalms today, and um, I love the liturgy this morning. Sean did a great job of uh, picking some liturgy for us. It really f- uh, captures this. So the, from the book of Psalms, the 13th chapter, and this is what the title of it, it's Prayer for Deliverance from, from My Enemies. And so once again, uh, David's writing here in the book of Psalms, and, and he's feeling as a you know, there's this, uh, once again, the theme that we have throughout the Bible, let's just start there, um, that that holding on to our faith and, and, and impressing upon people, the children of Israel, that hold on to faith even in the midst of adversity. And so, you know, once again, over and over again, and the children of Israel continue to, you know, be pummeled and there are places in their lives they continue to go through all this hardship and strife. And, and yet there's this theme that throws, goes throughout the whole scripture from A to Z, from the very beginning of Genesis to Revelation. Hey, listen, hold on. I haven't forsaken you. I still love you. I still care for you. Hang in there. So there's this theme, but you also feel the tension that's going on when people are writing the scriptures, and, and this is a classic example. David, you know, he's, God, where are you in the midst of my calamity? I need some help here. Have you forsaken me? Have you really forgotten me? Have you abandoned me? Hear these words. So how long, O oh Lord, will you forget me for, forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I bear my pain and my soul, and how... And have, have sorrow in my heart all the day long. How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Give light to my eyes, and or I will sleep the sleep of death. And my enemy will say, I have prevailed. My foes, foes will rejoice because I am shaken. But I trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I love that. There's the hope. But I trust in your steadfast love. My heart shall enjoy, rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. And from the book of Lamentations, and once again, let me share for you a few of the book um, from the third chapter. And I think this is really powerful because in my research this week, so Lamentations is written in the context um, 586 BC, the Babylonians came in and they just pummeled the children of Israel. They just pummeled Jerusalem. And so in the wake of all that, um, they're just hurting. They're just saying, God, where are you? I mean, we, we have tried to be obedient, and the, the, this, is, this is what we get. And, um, you know, and I, the best way I could maybe put this in a contemporary context, I think it, what the children of Israel are feeling here in this book of Lamentation is exactly what the people of Ukraine are feeling. That they, the, 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 the Russians have come in and they have taken our, are trying to take our land and we're just beaten down and we're trying to hold on with tooth and nail. And so 586, you know, this is t- almost 2,600 years ago. This is what the children of Israel are going through. So you hear this. So I say, gone is my glory and all that I have hoped for from the Lord. The thought of my afflictions and my homelessness my, is the wormwood and gall. 
My soul continually thinks of it and is bowed down within me, but this I, I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I love that. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will have hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul that seeks him. It is good that one should wait quietly. This is the word of God for the people of God. Uh, thanks be to God, amen. I love that scripture this morning, very powerful. So, um, you know, we've been on this journey and about asking a lot of questions. So, you know, is, is God real? Is, um, is, is the Bible real? Um, is heaven real? Is prayer real? And so is God real even in the midst of my suffering? So we've been asking a lot of questions, right, for the last, and, and wrestling with doubt. And so um, I, I found this commercial. Actually, I showed it several years ago. I love this commercial. It's actually 10 years old. It's an old commercial. It's a Han commercial. But I just love this kid in this commercial because I think it reminds me of me. So here, can you show this commercial of Honda? Okay, here we go. <laughs> I was that kid. You know, I know that I drove my mom and dad and my sister absolutely crazy because I was always, always asking questions, right? So what's this? So uh, this, uh, I went to see um, a doctor, I don't know, maybe a month ago. My, my wife always is very emphatic about making sure that I go and get a physical. I'm like, okay, honey, whatever. Okay, I'll go. So, um, so you, you know what's interesting about when you go get your physical these days? You know, they don't really do a whole lot of examination. You know what they do is they just say, well, let's go look at your blood work. Right? I mean, that's what they do. I mean, I mean, hardly. I mean, they kind of take your blood pressure, maybe take your temperature and look you over. That's about it. But then other than that, then that, well, let's run, let's run your blood. You know, your blood work tells a lot about you. A whole lot. It tells your story. Let's be really clear about that. So I went to the doctor about a month ago, and they, and so, uh, you know, and matter of fact, I even have my chart. I have my chart with me this morning, and, um, and so, you know, the doctor comes in with your chart, and, and then, so she looked at my numbers, and she goes, ooh, what's this? <laughs> I'm like, whoa, 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 what, what's this? And she says, no, what's, what's this? And she's looking at my chart, and I, she said, oh, and Mr. Hendren, your, your iron is low. I said, my iron's low? I didn't know my iron's low. No, your iron is low. We got we to do something. I said, well, what are we going to do? And she said, well, I need to send you to, um, I need to send you to a, um, a hematologist, a blood doctor. We, we got we to gotta check this out. And, um, and so because we got to figure out, so we go from what's this uh, to why this? Because they got to figure out what's going on. Um, and answer the question, why? So then she, um, so I, I go, so here's what happens. You go to one doctor and then, um, and then you have to go see another doctor and then you go see another doctor. That's what, is it, am, I, am I preaching to the choir here? Okay. <laughs> okay, so, so I went to my original, but just my basic doctor, my general. So then I go to uh, the blood doctor. And so he, he said, well, let me go work up more blood work. And I go, okay, here, take more blood. So then they go look at me. He's oh, Mr. Hendricks, what's this? Oh, wait, I've got one what's. Now I've got my second what's list. He's oh, he says, you're anemic. I'm anemic? 
Really? And then he says, we got to figure what's going on with you. And I said, what do we got to do? He says, well, now he says, you know, you, you must be leaking. I said, I didn't know I was leaking, but I'm leaking now. What do I do with leaking? Now we got to go send you to a, another doctor. Really? Another doctor? Yes. We got to send you another doctor because they got to, you know, um, I don't even, I, I've got so many doctors now, I don't even know their names. I don't even know what they are. So I went to this other doctor this week that I went, so I went from my general doctor to the hematologist doctor, and then I go to this um, doctor that's going to do this endoscopy thing. And so I went to go see her, and she goes, Oh, what's this? And I said, What? <laughs> And so then um, she explains to me, well, we got to figure out why this is happening. So they're going to do this endoscopy thing on me and the colonoscopy. I think, this is great. She says, the good news is we can do all at one time. I thought, this is like Walmart, one stop sharp. They got you coming and going. <laughs> so you go from what's this to why is this? We're going to figure out what's going on with you, Harold, in order for us to fix this. You follow? Okay, so we all can relate to this in our lives. So it's, it's all comes down to these questions. And so then I started thinking about <clears throat> this because whew, um, from a spiritual standpoint, um, I, I went to um, do this iron infusion this last week. And, and so I'm sitting in, and some of you all have gone through some kind of infusion, or maybe some of you in the room have gone through a chemotherapy, right? And so when you go to the room, to the, um, I think it's Florida Cancer Specialist, I'm, I go in the room with all these others, so they hook me up to this iron infusion thing, and I'm walking, the people coming in. And we all have something in common, because there's something not quite right with our blood. And, you know, most people are pretty cheerful, but, you know, we all have our own story and we all have our own blood story, right? And so we've all gone through the same process and we've all gone through the doctor and the doctor said, what's this? And then we have to figure out why is this in order to fix this, right? And so I'm I'm reflecting and watching all these people come in and we're all getting our, you know, getting our infusions I started reflecting upon the question. I'm like, I wonder how many of these people in the room have ever asked this question of God, God, why this? And maybe that's part of your story. As I'm watching the people come in, God, why this? So then um, I, I, last night I was thinking and, uh, and reflected upon this and putting this part of our spiritual, so this is, this is my story and maybe it's your story. But then there's this other part of the story that, you know, um, Jesus has a blood story. Because, you know, we think of your story, your, your, your story, is you have your own blood story. Everybody has their own blood story. But then Jesus has his blood story, right? And so then I, I started reflecting upon this last night, and then I came in and jotted down this, and I thought, you know, Coach, so here's Harold's blood work, and this could be your blood work, so what's this, why this? Let's fix this. But then Jesus' blood work... And you put it in perfect from a spiritual standpoint or where we are as a world. So um, we ask the question, what's this? So what's going on in the world? I mean, why is the world so broken? What's, I mean, we have a broken world. And so the, the, the answer to the question why this is that it, there's a lot of brokenness in the world because there's a lot of sin in the world. This is be candid. This is the part of who we are. And then... Um, 
And then the question is, so what's this sin and why is this? Well, you know what? It goes back to, we know we've made some pretty poor choices in life. And so we've struggled with that. Sometimes we choose correctly and sometimes we choose poorly. And usually when we choose poorly, there's some consequences to all that. And then so um, the how do we fix this is, well, John the Baptist gave us the answer. Behold the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sins of the world. Did you get that? Because there's, this is, to me, this is all Jesus' blood work. Um, God sent his only begotten son because there's sin in the world because we've chose poorly and that Jesus is the sacrificial lamb. That's his blood work. I, I, I did some, because um, I started thinking about this whole thing about blood work this weekend, so I thought it was really interesting because, you know, you go back to the Old Testament, the Old Testament tells a lot about the New Testament, and so you go back to the original story, the book of Exodus, and, you know, the children of Israel, you know, Pharaoh getting the nine plagues, and he comes to the tenth plague, and the tenth plague is the, well, it, it's the representation of what the Jewish people celebrate each week, each year about Passover, right? But there's a connection between the Passover and Jesus. As a matter of fact, you can look, Google it for yourself. And I, um, this, yesterday, I, I looked it up, Jesus and the Passover. It's, it's really remarkable because if you go and look at the parallels about the dust beard and the sacrificial lamb that was sacrificed, I, that was really interesting. Actually, I did a little work on that. Um, by the way, I never knew this, but Paul says this about Jesus in 2 Corinthians, the fifth chapter, seventh, chapter, seventh verse. Christ, our Passover, has been sacrificed. Hmm. So the, the lamb, this is what the book of Exodus says, um, examine it for four days to ensure that there's no flaw in the lamb. And finally, on the 14th day of the month, the night the death angel comes and kills the firstborn, kill that lamb, then apply the blood to your doorpost, Exodus 12, 7, and when God sees the blood, he will pass over it. And so what's very interesting about that lamb, don't miss the details, but the Passover lamb was a mature male, and what we find in Luke 3, 23, Jesus was a mature male. None of the bones, none of his bones were broken, Exodus 12, 46, John 19, 36. He was thoroughly examined and found spotless, 1 Peter 2, 22, Jesus. And he was slain for our sins, 1 Corinthians 15, 3, Revelation 1, 5. It's all there. So maybe we have a deeper understanding of what, what Paul says in 2 Corinthians. Jesus Christ is our Passover who ultimately has been sacrificed. Oh. So you got Harold's blood work, but then you got Jesus' blood work. Sin, we choose poorly, sacrificial land. Yeah. I, I've been thinking about that question. Why this? I mean, that's that's a great question. What's this? Why this? And, and you know, in my thirty-five years of doing ministry, I, I've had you know the gamut of people coming to me and asking me to pray for them and ask me questions and helping them. So I, I, I came up with like. The first, like, I don't know, eight or ten, why these, why this questions? Like, here's one. These are things that have happened in my ministry. Uh, Harold, why did my kid commit suicide? 
why this? Uh, Harold, why did my spouse die of cancer? Why this? Why did I lose everything financially? Why did my spouse want a divorce and tell me that he didn't love me anymore? Why is my child tormented with mental illness and depression? Why was I sexually assaulted by a childhood priest? Why was my father murdered? That happened to my best friend, Nelson. His father was murdered. Why did this storm destroy everything in my life and I spent my whole life building? Why this? Those are great questions that we've all, at some point in our life, have, have struggled with. Um, you know what's interesting? Um, so much of doubt, I was reading this last, so much of doubt comes when our expectations about God don't align with the reality that we experience in our lives. Our assumptions don't always line up with the reality. I thought that was a pretty good quote. Can you remember the first time you've asked this question, why this? I can. I was eight. It was March 31st. 1972. Matter of fact, um, uh, Howard K. Smith was doing the ABC News that night. Matter of fact, can you put, there's a picture of Howard. So there it is, March 31st, 1972, 50 years. And the time, um, my family and I lived in Orlando. And um, this is uh, during Vietnam War. And the, the B-52 bombers would fly right over our house. They were, they were, they were because the McCoy Air Force Base was right down the road, that, and these B-52 bombers are huge. And, and so um, they would fly so low, you could actually see the decals on the, air, on, the, on, the, on the wings. It was amazing to me, you know. They shook the house. They were so loud. They're huge. So on March 31st of 50 years ago, one of those B-52 bombers had just completely fueled with 44,000 gallons of jet fuel. It taken off, two engines went out, they tried to circle back, but they didn't make it. And that plane actually landed in my best friend's backyard. And fortunately, they weren't home, but there were some children in the neighborhood that were home. And when there's one little boy who happened to be, I didn't know him, his name was Anthony, but he happened to be my friend Doug's, one of his very good friends, because he was his next door neighbor. And he lived for about three or four days, then he finally died of the burns. Hmm. So even as an eight-year-old, I started asking this question, why this? You get it, right? You know what's interesting in my reflections this week um, and reading? You know, there, there are different ways to think about all this from a theological standpoint. So, so some people think, you know, well, um, it's all kind of in their, in their theology, and this is not exactly what we believe um, in our Wesleyan theology. It sounds a little Calvinistic. You know, it's predetermined. Uh, we, we call it predestination, or it's what Calvinism is. It, it's predestined that you're, you're going to go to heaven or you're going to go to hell. It's already predestined. Um, what's kind of flies in the face in our, in our theology is in Wesleyan, our Wesleyan tradition, you know, we believe in free will, right? And so um, we have to, once again, we, we choose correctly sometimes and we choose poorly. 
And, and so, um, so the whole I think idea about it's predetermined. Matter of fact, I think I actually did. Actually, I think I have this one. Let me go to this teaching moment here. Yeah, here it is. So is everything in my life already predetermined? And so what's interesting about this, this is if, if it's all predetermined, um, these are these other questions that we have, to, we kind of go along with if it's predetermined. You know, it's, you know, as God's already decided, it's going to happen. It must have been God's will. And the second question is the thought is everything happens for a reason. So, um, that is, um, that's really interesting um, when you think about that in life, when you run it through life. Is everything really, so it's almost like a cause and effect. So if God is already predetermined, then he's behind the cause and then there's effect. Run that through the whole COVID thing. Does that really make sense? You know, somehow God is already predetermined, so therefore God must be behind it and then we have this effect that there are literally thousands and thousands of people so is that, does that really kind of line up in our theology? That's just a very good question. So, um, you know, um, I, I shared this story with you two or three times in the last 11 years of my ministry, but I think it really is a very important point to make when it comes to this whole predetermined, if, uh, it must have been God's will, everything happens for a reason. So let me run this through. So, you know, um, about 35, 37 years ago, I was at my family reunion and my my cousin um, Nancy and um, her husband Robert they were there and they have a little boy named Hugh and he's only five and so the women folk are in the parlor the men folk are on the front porch talking telling tall stories and so Hugh goes around the side of the house down in it down in Pusey and he flips over we didn't know it but he flipped over the top of the cistern and then he fell in the cistern and he drowned in the middle of our family reunion so that was a horrible day that was probably one of the worst days of my life. It was just a horrible th- thing to watch and witness this precious little child. He was inquisitive. And so um, I know for a fact that there were probably some very good intentioned people who went to my cousin and my um, Nancy and said to her, you know, it must have been God's will. Or, you know, Nancy, everything happens for a reason. Or, you know, I guess the Lord just need another angel in heaven. What do you do with that? When you're a grieving mother just lost your firstborn child. You know, I actually had a conversation with Nancy about that a couple of years ago. I called her up because I was talking about this topic. And I love Nancy. She's a strong woman. Very devout. She is one of those people that has, and her husband Robert have persevered that I know for a fact that their faith was rattled. You're talking about when you lose your firstborn son in the middle of a family union, that will rattle your faith, right? But somehow they have, in that theme that I shared with you at the very beginning of the sermon, you know, God, have you forsaken me? Have you abandoned me? Have you left me? And yet somehow they have worked through that in their own theology, in their own place of life, and they continue to be faithful to God. Now, Having said that, when I talked to her and said, have you been able to make sense of all this, Nancy? True story, two years ago when I asked, this happened 35 years ago. You know, it must have been God's will, but everything happened for a reason. The Lord must have needed another angel. This is what she said. I mean, you can't get any more transparent than this, but this is what she said. She says, you know, Harold Ray, 
I'm still asking the question. And then she said, now this is real. When I get to heaven, Jesus and I are going to talk. That's powerful. I was um, I, I preached a message last week, and I was talking to somebody out in the hall here in the narthex, and they, and I, they, somehow we got on the will of God, and I I suggested them this book, and um, I think this is the right yeah. Okay, so um, matter of fact, can you put that up on the screen, uh, Leslie D. Weathers? Okay, so this is a great book. It's called The Will of God. So if you ever kind of question with the will of God and that whole question that I just put up on the screen, um, um, uh, Leslie D. Weatherhead wrote this book. Um, he actually didn't write a book. It's actually a series of five sermons. He was a, a pastor in, you got to look at the context, in 1944 in London during the World War II. And so he is trying to preach the gospel to his people who are in England, and they were trying to figure out, okay, is Hitler coming to get us? And how do we make sense of this, this Holocaust and all this, this horrible stuff that's happening in the world? I mean, the world looks like it's falling apart. So he wrote this, these five sermons, and, and I thought it was actually, you know, it's very simple. It's really not complicated, but it's just a simple, I mean, you could probably read the book in an hour, but it's a really good read. I would encourage you to read the will of God. And so this is how he breaks it down. First of all, he calls it, he calls God's intentional will. And so God's intentional will is always good. So God's intentional will is never to bring tragedy and illness um, upon our lives. That's not God's will for a life to have to go through pain and suffering. It's not God's intentional will. And then he talks about God's circumstantial will. And the circumstantial will is that God can bring even good out of the bad in life. Even in the midst of the circumstances, there can still be something positive that can come out of something that seems so tragic. For example, I got flood bucket up here, right? We got 100 flood buckets out there. We raised $29,000 this last week to help people. I mean, to me, there's this circumstance of what happened in the state of Florida about a week and a half ago, which is a tragic, tragic thing. But then there is something good that can come out of when someone is going through pain and suffering and they open a flood bucket and the top of the flood bucket, it says, New Covenant United Methodist Church, we are praying for you. We care about you. We understand that you're going through this pain and suffering, so here's a small little token of our love and admiration we are praying for you. So there's God's circumstantial will and then God's ultimate will. And I love God's ultimate will because God's will will prevail. Um, evil does not have the last and final word. Can I amen on that? How do we know that? The reason why that we know that evilness does not have the final word in life because we have come here today on this Sunday to worship Jesus Christ and every single Sunday, I remind you all, every single Sunday morning is like a mini Easter we have come to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ every single Sunday. Of course, we have one Sunday of the year that we celebrate Easter, but every single Sunday is considered a mini Easter. We've come to celebrate this, that evil does not have the final word, that Jesus Christ triumphs, and that God's ultimate will for all our lives is that he could be the Lord of our lives. And that he really is in control. 
Now, that, that's a great, and so I, I know I'm running out of time, but I, I once again, I, I have to, I got to teach on this because this, to me, makes a, a lot of sense, and I, I think about the idea is, oh, okay, so ultimately, who's in control? So when I think about who's in control, I mean, we, we have like, okay, well, what I started to reflect upon is the idea of, let me see. Here's in control. Well, here's the interesting. Let me just tease for a second. We are in control. I mean, really, we are in control. And it's biblical because if you go back to the Genesis story, you got two Genesis stories, and you got the Genesis story. You got the first Genesis story. The key word is the word dominion. Then God said, let us make mankind or humankind in our image and our likeness so that they may have dominion over the fish and the sea and the birds of the sky and over the livestock and all the wild animals and over the creatures and the move around the ground. So God created humankind in his own image and the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And so the theme in the first creation story has dominion, you know, to rule over. But then you get to the second creation story, you get this key words of free will. You know, go to the garden of Eden, and then you got Adam and Eve, and then God says, do not go to the tree, don't even touch it, don't even go, do not eat, do not eat, and they listen to that darn serpent, right? Goes back to choice, goes back to making, you can make good choices, or you can make bad choices. You have that in that story. So what's very interesting is that, you know, we are in control and that we do have free will, and that we do have dominion on earth and we are to take care of the earth. And we're, you know what? Here's the interesting thing. Jesus says, listen, we're supposed to take care of each other. There's a thought. And what does Jesus say? Love just as I have taught you to love. There's a great commandment. Jesus says, listen, turn the other cheek. Jesus says, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. God's given us the 10 commandments. It's all there that we're supposed to be able to, we have dominion. We, we do have some control because God gives us free will and we're supposed to take care of each other. We're supposed to take care of the earth. This is dominion. This is free will. But then, you know, we also believe that God is in control because we think that God is sovereign and, and God is good. And that God does not allow evil to have the final word. And so to me in my life, all this about God being sovereign influences my life because he grounds me. I, you know, I, 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 I make, I've made some really bad choices in my life. You've made some really bad choices in my life. But you know what? And there's this fundamental truth in my life that holds me accountable. And what holds me accountable is that I continue to answer to a sovereign God. This is who I am as a Christian or a believer of Jesus Christ. What holds me, continues to hold me accountable is that God, Jesus Christ has called me to a higher level, not of the worldly standard, but what Christ has called me from the spiritual standard. Harold, you don't go there. Do not go there. Do not go there. Because if you go there, the consequences are not gonna be good. I shared with last night of the, uh, uh, the congregation. I said, you know, let me just give an example of that. So like if I just, I mean, this guy, I would not do this, but have an affair with my wife. What holds me accountable? Let me tell you, what, how, what ultimately, because I believe in a sovereign God that continues to hold me accountable because I know if I do that, we know what's gonna happen? Brokenness, pain, misery, suffering. That's just one example, Right? So what ultimately continues to hold me account of my life is influences my, sure I got free will, sure I have dominion over my life, I have, I have some sense of control, 
But yet I place my faith in realizing there is control and a sovereign God who continues to influence my life. Does that make sense to you? You with me? Well, good. That even came to me like at three o'clock this morning, but that makes sense to me too, right? Okay. I close with this today. Um, here's just a thought. So um, I've got this word surrender in my mind uh, this week. Um, and, you know, once again, it has to do with remaining faithful and that, that, that we, from A to Z, and here we are, and, and that, um, that even the midst of pain, in the midst of struggle in our life, even the midst of um, all that maybe we've gone through. And um, so for the first time in 31 years, Donna Hendra and I are empty nesters. <laughs> 31 years. It took us a while, but we got there. 31 years. Okay, so, so our son Cameron moved out. He got an apartment. We're very proud of him. This is a big deal. But you know, as I shared with you over the last like 10 years, Cameron is the one who has really struggled with anxiety and depression. So there's this side of me as a father when we were moving him, and this is a big step for him. It just reminds me, Lord, he's, he's not mine anymore. He, he's yours. He's moved out. I've got to surrender him to you. There's something powerful about that, about surrendering the most precious things of your life to God and trusting that he is sovereign, that God really is in control, that there are parts of our lives that we are in control and there are parts of our life that we just have to surrender because realize this is so much bigger than my pay grade. I need your help, Lord. So help me, guide me, strengthen me, encourage me, get me through this. I surrender to you. And that takes faith. So um, we've been on this journey together. We've asked a lot of questions. And many of us have walked through this time together of um, doubts. But, you know, I, I will tell you from my perspective is that, you know what, we've all gone through pain and suffering, but the theme that I hope that we get from today's message is the same message that goes back to Babylonian captivity, 586 B.C., lamentations, being pummeled. God, where are you? And yet, they continue to cry out, Lord, we have hope in you. My last little thought today, you know, if, if you're an atheist, if you are atheist, if you have, some of us have atheist friends, here's the deal. When you're going through pain and suffering as an atheist, at the end of the day, all you have is pain and suffering. But if you go through pain and suffering as a Christian, you always have hope. 